Parenting is work, like a lot of work, and it can be easy to feel like nobody understands. Well, I am here to tell you, as a mom of four, including infant twins, <laughs> that at the end of the day, we're all just figuring it out as we go. You are not alone. I'm Summer Shepherd, and this is, no, seriously, how do I do this? Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. We are going to have so much fun today. We're going to think today. Have you ever really just beat yourself up because you recognize that in the midst of telling your kids not to yell at each other anymore, to stop fighting, you are yelling and fighting with your children. You realize the example you set as you try to rein your kids in is the worst example you could set. I, I got news for you. Me too. You being here, I like to think, is the first, maybe the seventh step in you accepting the fact that you are not alone in this. We're all a hot mess, a hot, flaming mess, but we're in this together, and that's what's so exciting. We're not expected to have it all figured out, but when we can glean from each other, when we can look at those shared experiences and pool our knowledge, we can bless each other. We can make each other think. And speaking of thinking, I'm really excited to bring you today's episode because I had a chance recently to sit down <laughs> with one of the smartest men I know. He thinks for fun. <laughs> And he reads for fun. If I had a nickel for every time he said, okay, so I read this one book and then just dropped some amazing knowledge on me, man, I'd be, I'd be rich. I would be so rich. So we are going to be enriched together by today's conversation, but I want it more than anything to give you courage, to give you peace, and to help you show grace to yourself. So join me in welcoming, if you will. Mike Donahue of 10th Avenue North to today's episode of No Seriously, How Do I Do This? So you are a dad. Mm. You are a dad. Big time. Of girls. You have four kids four as daughters. well. Four, four daughters. They're all daughters. Now, are they rambunctious like you were when you were young? Uh, two of them are. Okay. Yes. And the other two compensate with chill or where are they on the spectrum? Uh, every one of my daughters is so fascinatingly unique mm. has their own conundrums gifts now, well when you wrote the book finding god's life for my will right mm -hmm. loved it uh you talked about some of the shenanigans you got in as a child now yes. I, I have four kids too i have one boy but he is tiny right so he's he's Small one of my human. twins right gotcha. so nine and a half months he's not causing trouble yet if anything his sister's the wild child right i've never raised boys so I don't know if it's a boy thing to have a, a crazy kid jump in on his bike and break in himself or yeah. I haven't, I haven't been down that road. So your kids aren't it that to you. No, it seems to me, I mean, my, my one kid is pretty rambunctious. I mean, well, all four of my children have broken their arm. Okay. None of which happened in my presence. I was there for any of them. It was always like two of them fell down at school and bro, I don't know if we're not giving them enough milk hmm. or what. Um, but my one wild child, she fell off a fort, like a tree fort and broke her arm in half. Oh, Lord. So I don't think it's particular to boys though. The families I know with boys, there is definitely a different level of physicality. Hmm. I mean, 
there's a lot more hitting, punching, swinging bats at each other's heads, that kind of thing. <laughs> My daughters are, it's more of emotional angst oh, than yeah. physical retribution. So how old are they right now? 11, 10, 7, and 3. You haven't even entered into the angst period yet. Oh, Not no. fully. My 11-year-old's menstruating now, which... <laughs> She loves to announce. I love that She's, about her. You know, we're we've really tried to teach them to not be ashamed of their bodies and what's going on. Um, but now we're gonna have to dial it back a little bit and go, okay, there's some things we don't share to everyone in Target. So you have though so you have okay, so you have that level of hormones, but have boys started entering the picture yet? Well, that my oldest uh we found out she kissed a boy in a tree. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, they kiss <laughs> in a tree, K- sitting in a tree. K I S S. Now this is this is real parenting advice that I've I've heard from a lot of sources is that when they enter this realm, it's really important to not shame or necessarily encourage. You know, because it's kind of the two extremes we tend to go to. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't! Oh, that's bad! Don't kiss! Bah! Really shut it down. Get really aggressive about it. Or shame it by going, oh, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. Or you go the opposite way, be like, ooh, who's your crush? Who's your boyfriend? Mm-hmm. And sort of almost maybe wrongfully inflame that uh, that thing that's happening. As opposed, you know, we try to take the the role of just being deliberately curious mm-hmm. and not humiliatingly so, embarrassing, but just like, oh, okay, so why did you do that? And okay, what did you think about that? And Mm, do you think that's a good idea? You know, do you want to be kissing boys? And, you know, so we're just asking questions and then comes out. She goes, yeah, we went up, we were in the tree and we decided to try to kiss. So we kissed, we put our lips together for three seconds. You know, so it's definitely <laughs> you this seem counting it curiosity thing. And well, what, what'd you think? Well, I realized I, I didn't want to give my kisses away just to any boys. And so we broke up. <laughs> that is and the you know, most beautiful. Yeah, thing. it's really beautiful. You let them kind of come to their own conclusions instead of making them for them. You know. Well, I, you're saying that you just ask a lot of questions. I'm like, well, that sounds like Jesus. Like, I that's, hope so. That's what he did, right? Like he just asked and kind of led people to the conclusions that's that not they a, needed to find. That's not a fail-safe modus. <laughs> apparatus with girls because sometimes we'll go so what's behind your tears i don't know why i'm sad literally my 10 year old that she said that the other day we go why are you crying i don't know why mm-hmm. i'm crying though we're big we're really big my my wife and i about giving them permission to feel things so we're always trying to figure out how to teach them your feelings are a gift you're allowed to be sad but you may not flip your lid, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to differ, differentiate between what is the appropriate, healthy expression of sadness and what is when you've flipped a switch into tantruming, mm-hmm. you know? So we're still trying to figure that out. Well, there's a fine line, I feel like. Well, because the more it happens, the more as parents, I feel like we start to lose our patience and we just want to stifle it. It's like, stop crying. Why? Do you? My husband struggles with that. And he would be the first to admit it. Yes. Where he's like, seriously, they are always crying. <laughs> I have a four and a six-year-old. But especially our four-year-old, she's just experiencing all these really big emotions. And she tries to assign them to things. And it's usually, I just love you so much and I miss you. Like, even if we're sitting this close to her, which I love. Yeah. But it just drives my husband nuts. He's like, I don't get it. 
there is no reason for you to be crying right now. Well, they don't have a frontal lobe. So they, they actually are not, reasoning is not coming into the picture here at all. And I'm trying to explain that, you know, big emotions, little body. I want to make a kid shirt that says, have patience with me. I'm growing a frontal lobe. <laughs> you should. I think it would sell. I think so. What kids need from us as parents is they need to feel felt by us. What we think as parents is we need to invalidate their feelings because get them to stop doing that. Right. Right. And usually what's interesting to me that I've noticed among of myself I'm way more patient with my girls at home when no one's around than where and we're in public mm-hmm. because my ego is in play in public because I wouldn't want to admit it. But part of the reason I need them to stop crying is because you're making me look like a bad dad. So feeling felt by us, this doesn't mean we give in or we capitulate to their demands. It, it doesn't even need to be verbal, but we communicate to them through our facial expression, through our eye contact. I feel you. Mm-hmm. That must be hard. I think about that, you know, that YouTube skit. It's not, it's not about the nail. You know, it's like a husband and wife and she's got this nail sticking out of her forehead. Have you seen that? It's this achy feeling. <laughs> and he goes, well, you have a nail in your head. And she's like, it's not about the nail. Why do you, you know, <laughs> and he goes, wow, that must be really hard for you. And she goes, thank you. <laughs> you know, um, but my, my brother-in-law his wife. So my sister-in-law, he was asking her, which one of your parents would you talk to when you had a problem when you were younger? And she goes, Oh, my dad. And she goes, okay, why? This is what she said. She said, because when I would come into his office with a problem, he would turn and he would look at me. Mm. He would turn and look at me. And I just think as parents, we just think I've got to fix it. I've got to figure out the cure. And here's you know, my sister-in-law, she's saying, I would bring my problems to my dad because when I would bring them to him, he would just stop what he was doing and actually look at me. So it's mm-hmm. not like it takes a whole lot. Now, is this something that you would say you've always been good at? Or is this something you learned as a dad? Like validating people's feelings and, and being there in the moment. Has that always been the way even little Mikey was? Uh, oh, n- no. I, <laughs> I wouldn't even say that I'm good at it now. I read a book called Voice of the Heart by Chip Dodd. And I got in this men's group where we just talked about our feelings. And, you know, especially as men, there's a lot of feelings that culturally, subconsciously, you just interpret as wrong. So depending on your family, depending on your origin story, if you're sad, there's a lot of people whose families, that's wrong. It's wrong if you're sad. Have faith. Be full of hope. Instead of going, wait, no, no, sadness is a gift. And you can make a pos- a move toward wholeness or a move toward unhealth or loneliness. Loneliness is a gift. It's telling you that you need community. And so you can either listen to that loneliness, get curious about it, and go, oh, I need to reach out and ask some friends to hang out with me. Or you stifle it. You say, no, loneliness is bad. And then what do you do? You end up probably pushing yourself into more isolation. Mm-hmm. As I'm learning that about myself, I start getting more curious about my emotions and my children's emotions. When you approach feelings with curiosity, then you can experience them even when they're annoying, like my kids wailing. I can go, okay, this is telling us something. So we actually do this check-in group with our daughters uh, every so often where we put the eight emotions that Chip Dodd, he boils down. He basically boils down all major emotions to like, let's call them primary colors, right? These are the eight 
primary emotions that all other emotions are some combination of these emotions. They're the secondary emotions. Mm. So for instance, you know, if my kid says, I feel frustrated, frustrated is a head emotion. You go, all right, what is it out of these eight? And so they look at the list and they go, oh, I feel lonely and sad and angry. They go, okay, those I can, let's unpack those. And our kids love it. So we go, so we pass the, the thing around and go, which, which feelings are you feeling today? And they go, I feel this and I feel this and I feel this. And then everyone says, thank you. And then you don't say why, because here's a thought. Frederick Buechner says this about Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, um, God's the first psychoanalyst. Because when Adam and Eve have sinned and they're hiding from God, what does God say? He says, where are you? Who told you that? What did you do? He doesn't say, why did you do that? How dare you do that? He just says, where are you? Who told you that? And so with your kids, a lot of psychotherapists will agree with this. It's important not to interrogate them to say, well, why are you feeling that way? But instead go, what do you think is behind that? So, which is, is, it's a lot of work for parents. You're just trying to get your kids fed and keep them alive. So you're not thinking why, of course I'm going to say why to my kids. But the thing is they don't know. Most of the time they don't know. But I think that's super helpful. Our, Our daughter who's in kindergarten, her school has started doing those emotions with colors. Theirs is a little more simple. There's three. You're either green, you're yellow, or you're red. Right. And there's specific emotions under each category. But even our daughter, you know, she'll, our six-year-old, she'll come home and she'll just be, she'll just be crying. My girl, what's wrong? She's like, I'm feeling red. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a start. It's a start. But I think there is just so much value to that, to just validating our kids. And I think that's something that as a culture, we're shifting toward that more, you know, moving away from the kids should be seen and not heard to, to understanding that kids need to be heard because if they're not heard now, then they're not going to be heard later, or they're going to scream so loud in order to be heard later that there's just a lot of correction that's going to have to come. Now, talking about cultural shifts, there's also, I feel like been a shift lately, which I'm very grateful for, uh, when it comes to fatherhood. It's it's not enough to just go out of the house and earn an income and let your wife raise your kids. Um, but I know a lot of dads who still feel very blindsided when they become a father because a lot of the resources out there are still geared toward women, mm. geared toward the moms. And so I guess I would say what message would you give if you could in a, in a nice little package to that dad-to-be, whether imminently wife's pregnant or potentially maybe one day that you wish you had known before? It's not advice. This is going to be a practicum. Okay. The best advice I give dads, especially guys who tour, you know, I'm uniquely assimilated with them. And they go, oh, man, I'm just having so much problems at home. I go, all right, cool. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to go home and you're going to watch the kids by yourself. And your wife is going to go on a week vacation. That's going to fix 90% of whatever, (laughs) whatever's going on in your relationship. It's really true. Because my wife started going on these week-long trips with one of her best friends five or six years ago now, and now they go every year. I remember the first time, I mean, she came back and I was weeping at her feet. Just, thank you, thank you, just <laughs> kissing her feet, going, I had no idea, I had no idea how hard this is when I'm gone. Mm-hmm. I do think the most important thing, guys, especially, I would say, is just really learn to ask the question, hey, what do you need from me? My wife, if you're an Enneagram person, super unhealthy too. She'd say that for a mm. long time. So I'd always have to guess what she needs because she didn't even know what she needed. I think that's a really helpful question 
especially when I would come home from the road, say, hey, what do you need from me? And it gives her a chance to express what her expectation was of me. Most of our fights in our marriage have been from unrealized expectations that neither of us verbalized to the other one. Right. So it's all that hurt you're doing, not even knowing you're doing it. Well, I would say, and I agree that I think that's a healthy question to ask, but I think there needs to also just be the realization that when you first start asking that, it's going to be a learning curve for your wife too. If that, if that question hasn't been asked, because I'm not a two, Mm -hmm. um, but I have two tendencies like that comes, I think with especially motherhood, as far as parenting is concerned, like there's a lot that culturally, historically has been expected of women when it comes to the home. And now that women are working outside of the home, there's still all those same responsibilities within the home. And so we are kind of taught, you have to be these superheroes. You got to do it all. You just got to figure it out. And we're not used to necessarily being asked, what is it that you need of me? So if your wife doesn't respond well, keep asking. If she says nothing, ask some more. Just remind me too of um, my sister read this awesome book by this scientist about how it really does take a village to raise a child and how handicapped we are as a culture because we're so isolated into our family cell groups that you you aren't meant to raise toddlers by yourself in mm-hmm. this house with no one else. All these studies being done about when kids are free to run around and be parented by many people in the village. That's just a much healthier context. We need to figure out ways to create bigger communities. Yeah. If you look at a map, talking about my childhood, they've done these studies of these maps, right? About the radius of which a child could travel away from their home. And from the 50s, they do it by decade. And you look at the circle. In the 50s, it's like a 15-mile circle that kids could go out from their own house. And then in the 60s, it's like 12 miles. And in the 70s, it's eight. And then it, boom, boom, boom. And now, 2021, it's literally like 50 feet. Yeah, it's your yard. You know? But even then, under supervision. Right. You know, when I was a kid, my, my parents gave me a Huffy bike. And I look at the map. I mean, it was several-mile radius. Me and my buddies just rode our bikes around. You know, we're flattening pennies at the train station with homeless dudes. And, I mean, I, it's just, I'm shocked that I'm alive, right? But my my friend's parents were like my parents too. Mm-hmm. And I definitely had a co-parenting experience almost, which I think was really healthy. Of You get to glean wisdom from other parents. Not all families do things the same way. Yeah, and it's so... It feels very un-American now, like in a modern context of like, you feel like you should be able to do it all. And then when other people do have to help me, I feel bad about it. You feel guilty. Like, I mean, there's people doing this by themselves all the time. My husband is a reservist. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but he just got word that he's deploying next year and he could be gone for a year. And I'm sitting there and people are like, oh, how can I help? And I'm like, oh, single moms do it all the time. I mean, that's my first response. And there's this unrealistic expectation I feel like we put on ourselves. Like, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll be fine with, you know, four kids and two-year-old twins. Like, no problem. Single moms may do it. It doesn't mean they do it healthily. Or alone. You know, right. just single moms, you might not be married, but but yeah, the ones who, who don't have a community, I mean, their kids have stories, right? That's not an easy thing. But not only do we prize independence to an unhealthy degree, but COVID, 
those family cells were all you had. You did have to stay Mm. inside. What did that look like for you guys over the last year? Yeah, (laughs) it was such a long year. (laughs) This is not going to be a unique testimony here, but yeah, just a couple of parents horribly inadequate at teaching our kids and being forced to teach, keep kids on screens Homeschool other kids. Four girls, one of them menstruating. Yes. <laughs> Thankfully, she wasn't menstruating yet at that point. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was a long, long year. I would say the only thing that helped us was that you couldn't go anywhere. Hmm. It's funny, right? COVID happens and there was a freedom of going, no, we can't go out to eat. No, we can't go to a game. Nope. We're going to sit here. We're going to play games and we're going to watch movies and we're going to play in the backyard. There was the limitness of it was actually, if you could see it in the right framework, was a blessing in disguise for me because we had enough money to buy groceries and it wasn't true unilaterally. Mm-hmm. Well, and so, so that was a big change. And I agree with you. We had a, we had a very sweet time. I was pregnant with the twins. So it was just a, a time to really soak up that quality one-on-one time with my other children before the twins came. But That was definitely a shift for a lot of people. But for you, I would imagine it it was probably felt even more because I I believe it was in the midst of COVID that I learned that you were going on a solo project because 10th Avenue North was disbanding. Yeah. So that was the the worst timing. (laughs) Right before our spring tour, I say to the guys, hey, this fall, I think I need to take time off to be home more. Three years ago, we cut the number of shows we're doing in half. And then we tried to dial back more, tried to dial back more. I'm still did almost 80 shows the year before. And my wife was going, it's still not enough. I still need you home more. So I said to the guys, I've never taken a chunk of time off since this band started. I need to take the fall tour off. I don't know what we're all going to do for money. I just, I got to be home. And it was like, they were all waiting for me to say it. They go, actually, 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 actually my bass player, I'm going full-time in real estate when this tour's over. And then my guitarist goes, actually, we're moving to Florida and I'm going to do producing out of, my thing. And long story short, we go, well, our tour starts next week. So this isn't our spring tour. This is our farewell tour. I guess we're ending. And they go, yeah, I think so. Oh I go, Oh, they go, well, you can keep going. It's 10th Ave. I go, well, I'm not going to do that. You guys are all quitting. I'm not going to show up with a whole new group of people and call it 10th Avenue North. So we quickly like rebrand it. We send out all the emails. Hey, it's crazy. This is our farewell tour. We get a week into it and then COVID shuts it down. Yeah. So it was the most unfinished unresolved feeling. And at that point I didn't know if I would even keep doing music. I said, I don't even know if this is what I'm supposed to keep doing. People go, Oh, but your songs have meant so much to me. I go, yeah, those songs doesn't mean the songs I'm going to write in the future are, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? I'm just very kind of maybe too realistic with myself sometimes. And, uh, and then the craziest thing happened in the middle of COVID first two months, I was super depressed. I finally went, you know what? I need to write a song today because I just feel like I'm drowning. And I sat down and I wrote this song called Flourish, which is actually going to be the name of my solo record. And then I ended up writing more songs in a year than I've ever written, which shouldn't be surprising. I'm sitting at home all day. (laughs) But it was this sort of realization that I needed the songs. And songwriting for me is probably what journaling for a lot of people is. You know, it's sort of self-therapy. It's discovering what's going on in my heart. There's this really great verse in Psalm 49.4. This isn't a parenting thing, but David says, I incline my ear to wisdom and with the music of the lyre, I will solve my riddle. So David says, 
I write songs to unriddle myself. That's what I did and came out on the other side and went, oh, I have a hundred songs I've written. You know, you have no idea what's happening in the, in the forest, you know, and then you get some perspective and you can make out the trees. What would you say, I guess, to wrap up our time together, what would you say to that person who's still stuck in the forest? And, and maybe it's parenting related. Maybe they got a bunch of girls at home, don't know what to do with them. Or maybe it's it's a life switch that's come out of COVID, or, or maybe it's a health diagnosis, but there is somebody who just can't see the forest for the trees and is just lost right now. Mm. What would you say to that person? Yeah, there's a couple things. And as it relates to parenting, you know when you yell at your kid? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you, and, you just, and you just lose it, or you just get it wrong, is to remember that failure is forgivable. You can track back. You can ask for forgiveness. That's probably my biggest parenting advice is learn how to say you're sorry. Modeling repentance for your kid is more important than looking shiny and perfect. I think about Jesus is like Bob Ross, you know, when he makes a mistake on the painting. Have you, you ever watched Bob Ross? Oh, all the time. Yeah, for he fun. always looks, if you've ever seen the few episodes where he makes a mistake, he'll turn and he looks at the camera and he goes, now remember in painting, there's no mistakes, just happy, happy little accidents, accidents, right? And God is, God is that way, right? He, he has this way of, if you hand him the mess, the worst part of your painting, he turns into a mountain, right? He turns into some happy little trees. And it's actually sometimes when you get enough distance, you actually point to your biggest failures as the best moments in your life. We had a song called Worn that went out and at the time was our worst performing radio single for our band's career. It's because a couple major radio stations wouldn't play it. And their problem with the song Warren was it doesn't resolve. Then we actually had a station ask, if you could go back and rewrite the last chorus to, and now I know redemption wins, and now I know the struggle ends, you will mend my heart that's frail and torn, then we'll play it. And you don't even have to change the rest of the song, just the last chorus, it just needs to resolve. And I said, yeah, what planet do you live on? <laughs> Uh, it's my experience. God has promised to redeem things. He's not promised to resolve things. And there's a difference. And the biggest encouragement I could give you is this. My pastor used to say this all the time. He goes, we have this promise from God that not only will he often redeem us from our struggles, that often he will redeem us through our struggles. When you get that in you, you're allowed to be a lot more patient with yourself, a lot more curious with your own failures, instead of just trying to hate yourself into changing, hate your parenting enough to change it. Hate your story enough to be kind. It doesn't work that way. The way God changes us is through his kindness. So it's the way we have to change ourselves is to actually learn to be kind to ourselves. And that kindness as we're, as we're kind to ourselves, I believe gives us the ability to be kind to our children. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for for making the time for being here, for sharing your heart, for being open and vulnerable and for going there. Yeah, my pleasure. You see what I'm saying about the book thing? Well, I read a book. Man, she read this great book and it said, and science is proven. I love it. (laughs) But I, I hope that, I hope you found your courage. I hope you found peace and hope and camaraderie. Like none of us have it figured out. Not a single one of us. And yet we're all trying and we're all in different places on that journey and coming together. It doesn't just take a village to raise our kids. It takes a village to raise up us as parents. We need each other. 
And so I am grateful that you are on this journey with me. I'm grateful that people like Mike Donahue are on this journey with us. Together, we are better. Together, we are stronger. So remember today, as always, as you leave this place, as you continue doing what you're doing, you are loved and you're not alone.